0: Last week we talked about how to vote concerning the biblical view on the sanctity of life. If you didn't get to hear that message, you can go back and and watch it on Facebook from last week. Uh, Today we're going to look at the scriptural view on marriage and family. These are top issues that are confronted in our culture today. And I felt it necessary that the Lord wanted me to present these to you. I'm here to remind you today that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility and a mandate to stand for Jesus. We have to stand for Jesus with boldness and courage despite what public opinion is or what political discussion or what uh, viewpoints are out in the marketplace of ideas we are supposed to stand for Jesus as salt and light. Reviewing a couple of scriptures from last week, Romans 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to who? To everyone that believes. So to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. So the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we present it in whatever form, whether we present it verbally whether we we should be doing all of these things presenting it verbally but also living our lives so that other people can see Jesus in us by taking specific action how do how can people see us they know that we're that we're people of prayer they know that we go to church they know that we we read the word of god we're not ashamed of those facts in our lives As citizens of the United States, we have the freedoms given to us by God and affirmed by the nation's founders in our Constitution. We have the right to worship God without public prohibition. We have the right of freedom of speech, which allows us to communicate ideas and engage in conversation without the fear of imprisonment, which is not the case in many countries in this world. It is incumbent upon us to do everything within our ability to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is reinforced in the public arena. It means that biblical issues matter. And as followers of Jesus Christ, they should matter more than just to us personally. They should matter to us in a way that we can share as a testimony to all of those who are around us and who know us. There is a spiritual battle that is being waged by the devil, not only to keep Jesus from being proclaimed, but to do everything that he can to bring acceptance in every area of public life of anything that is contrary to the word of God. Proverbs 29, 2 says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. We have a responsibility, not only as citizens, but as Christians to vote for what the Bible says. We have to stand on the Bible when it comes to voting about issues, which the Bible has been very clear about. We stand on the side of the Bible when it votes to a candidate or determining by determining where they stand and then compare where they stand to this book right here. Where do they stand on the issues? of the Bible. Any issue or candidate that rejects the truth of the Bible should never gain a follower of Jesus Christ's vote. Some people may think, well, Pastor, you're a little short-sighted. No, let me tell you, this book has not changed. The Word of God has not changed. His mandate has not changed one bit. We're either going to stand for something or we will fall for anything. How much more is it going to take for us to be able to say, well, just whatever will be, will be, and my vote really doesn't matter, and it doesn't count, and it doesn't... It absolutely matters. If one can put a 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight... And the thing that God is able to do is to take what we have, and there's several stories in Scripture where He took what someone had and multiplied it exceedingly, abundantly above anything that anyone could even think. Our vote should be solely based upon the Word of God, and everything else is secondary. And the buzz that's going around is, well, it's the economy, We should find out who's got the best economic plan. No, we should find out who's got the best Bible plan and vote according to the Bible because if inflation skyrockets more than it already has, and I understand that it already has, and it's continuing to go up, the economists and the professionals that do this for a living, they don't really know what's in store for the future. How many knows that nobody really knows what is in store for the future? None of us really know. But God is going to take care of His people. He's going to take care of us in good times and in bad times. He will take care of us because He is faithful. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. How to vote on the issue of marriage and family. I'm pretty sure that everyone listening already knows this, but it's worthy of saying, how many know that words matter and definitions matter? How many know that? How many of you can think of words that have changed and how they are used and how they used to be used? Maybe the meaning has changed and it's not used in the same way. How about the word icebox? You ask a youngster what an icebox is and they will likely tell you that it's a box in the freezer that holds the ice that comes out of the ice maker. There's people in my family that still use the term icebox, meaning refrigerator. I mean, know where I'm coming from. We're in Oklahoma. There's people that use icebox because that's what they heard growing up. Icebox really haven't been used In decades on a regular basis I would say you know in the migration in the 1940s 50s and in that decade of the 50s many people were migrating over to that and the Iceman kind of went the way of the telegraph (laughs) Um, if you don't know what a telegraph is watch one of the old Westerns and you'll find out Here's a few examples that I dug up. This was published by Reader's Digest. The word bully dates back to 1538. Today's meaning is someone cruel to those weaker. We all recognize and understand that. But the original meaning of this word was sweetheart. According to Merriam-Webster, it most likely came from the old Dutch word boel, which means lover, can can you imagine? Oh, honey, you bully! Just come right over here. <laughs> the word backlog. The original, the today's meaning was large number of jobs to be done. How many's ever worked? It's Like, man, we got a backlog. We got a backlog. You know this. Uh, what do they call it? This uh, shipping shortage or this uh, backlog in orders and stuff like that. You know, it's on back order, backlog. But the original meaning was the largest log in the hearth. Yes, backlog used to denote a literal log. Literal log. The word fantastic dates back, what, 700 years. Today's meaning means exceptionally good. Man, that was fantastic. But the original meaning was only used in the imagination like a fantasy. It wasn't ever used in real language. I mean, like, man, that was, it wasn't used as an adjective to describe a, a great experience. It was used as a descriptor of something that happened that wasn't real. So you can see how these definitions have changed over time. Many word meanings, change, changes caused by culture are typical and they're expected since many of us do not talk the same way. As decades ago or even centuries ago, we all talk differently. I mean, remember's groovy. I think it's making a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> but where we should see a big red flag is when the change in definition goes contrary to the Bible. Let's look at the word marriage." Here's the current definition of marriage from Merriam-Webster. And this is lengthy, and there's several slides. It says this, 1A. It says, see the usage paragraph below, but we'll get to that in just a minute. So there's there's like a footnote there. The state of being united as spouses in a consensual and contractual relationship Recognized by law. That's the current definition. Now, if you see the usage paragraph below, this is what that usage paragraph says. This is in the dictionary, folks. The definition of the word marriage, or more accurately, the understanding of what the institution of marriage properly consists of, continues to be highly controversial. This is not an issue to be resolved by dictionaries. Don't you love that disclaimer? Ultimately, the controversy involves cultural traditions, religious beliefs, legal rulings, and ideas about fairness and basic human rights. The principal point of dispute has to do with marriage between two people of the same sex, often referred to as same-sex marriage or gay marriage. Same-sex marriages are now recognized by law in a growing number of countries, and were legally validated throughout the U.S. by the Supreme Court's decision in Obergefell versus Hodges in 2015. In many other parts of the world, marriage continues to be allowed only between men and women. The definition of marriage shown here is is intentionally broad enough to encompass the different types of marriage that are currently recognized in varying cultures, places, religions, and systems of law. That's got to be the longest definition I think I've ever read, or the clarification of a definition. But that's what's in the dictionary today. Here's the same definition from Webster's 1828 version of their dictionary. The act of uniting a man and woman for life. Wedlock, the legal union of a man and a woman for life. Marriage is a contract, both civil and religious, by which the parties engage to live together in mutual affection and fidelity till death shall separate them. Marriage was instituted by God himself for the purpose of preventing the promiscuous intercourse of the sexes, for promoting domestic felicity, and for securing the maintenance and education of children. It's pretty straightforward. Now, let's see what the word of God says about what God established as marriage. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I apologize if that's not real clear from back in the back. I tried to make that to where it would be. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, uh, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over every every living creature that moves on the ground. So God created male and female and blessed them to come together in His ordination of marriage. He gave them the ability to reproduce and to increase in number. That's what the Scripture just said. The first marriage uh, created by god should not surprise anyone today that is that, that, that this is the only type of marriage that god ordained that was it it's as simple as that people try to make it difficult but this is what god ordained is marriage that is it just like the simpler definition that we just read earlier our church's position on marriage which is based upon the bible supports the idea God's idea of marriage we believe that the bible not the ever changing culture is our infallible guide there are people today that are sympathetic to modern society that seeks to set aside almost 2000 years of biblical interpretation and ethical teaching we believe these efforts reflect the reflective of the conditions that are described in 2 Timothy 4:3 this is really what our culture is today. 2 Timothy 4, 3, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So this is really what people do. The Bible is full of examples where you can read where people did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't do what the Bible said to do, but they did what was right as they thought it was right. And that's what people seek. How many know that when you find people that have things in common with you, it's easy to talk about that part of your life with them. If you find somebody who is interested in fishing, You can share fishing stories. If you find somebody who's a gamer and you're a gamer, then you can come together and you can talk about those things. How many know that when you have things in common, the sad part is is that when people have things in common, such as living life that does not agree with the Bible, They also look for other people that have things in common so that they can bring themselves around in an audience of people that have common beliefs and goals. That's why that you see groups of people that gather together and they promote their agenda as they see that it should be. Now, the thing is, is that as Christians and as men and women of God, we really are called to be with like-minded people as far as our intimate friendships with the purpose of sharing and encouraging each other with what God is doing in each one of our lives, but also as a positive force to witness and to talk to other people, not in a way that is a bully way, as the The modern definition gives us, but a way that shines light and love and points to Jesus Christ so that people willingly will see the light of Jesus Christ, not by gathering people together around us that say, well, I want you to agree with me. And if you don't agree with me, then I want nothing to do with you. They can call themselves Christians if they want to or followers of Jesus Christ, but that's not the Christ of the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it affirm changes in sexual identity or marriage as God defined it. But there's an abundance of evidence in the scripture that illicit sexual behavior is immoral and it comes under the judgment of God. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, this is what: when, when God brought the woman to Adam. Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Scripture then states this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. I've used that very scripture in wedding ceremonies to remind people That you're not two people anymore. That you are one. And it's ordained by God. The Bible supports marriage as the permanent. I want you to get this. The permanent and the exclusive and the comprehensive conjugal one flesh. The union of one man and one woman. Intrinsically ordered to procreation biological family. And in the furtherance of the moral, spiritual, and public good of Binding father, mother, and child. So the marriage is meant for the man and the woman to come together. There's a part of scripture, and I didn't put it up here, but I thought about it, where people can look in nature and they can see from nature how God ordered things. We can do the same. We can read the word of God and know that this is what God ordained. I heard uh, just a snippet of a message that was being preached this morning right before we were leaving the house. We usually have TVN on the mornings and, and uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was Ruth Graham who was married to Billy Graham for decades, I think over 60 years, maybe 70, or something like that. Um, and uh, they, were ta- they, they were asking her if, if uh, they ever talked about or talked about divorce or thought about divorce, and, and she's like, "No, never." Murder, yes, but not divorce. Um. <clears throat> but speaking of divorce, this is what Jesus talked about whenever the Pharisees were asking him, but what about Moses? He said that you know that men could divorce their wives. And this is what Jesus said in Mark ten and five. He said, It was because of because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote You this law, Jesus replied, but at the beginning of creation, your words of Jesus, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When people come together, when a man and a woman comes together under the covenant of God, and they are doing their best to live for God, Satan will try everything in his power to come between them and to separate them, to separate them from their relationship with God, and to have something drive a wedge between them and their relationship with each other. I want to go through this, and this is a this is a, this is a passage here. That many pastors just won't preach because they think it's too controversial. But we're gonna dig right into Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Many people start with verse 22, but we're gonna start with verse 21. Submit to one another, talking about the husband and the wife. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What this means is that submit means to yield in love. So the husband and the wife yield to the other's needs in an attitude of love and self-giving. It's not, what can I get out of the relationship, but what can I contribute? What can I give to the relationship? Verse 22 says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. This speaks not of an authoritative submission as a servant would be, but again, yielding in love to the husband's God-ordained position as the priest and spiritual leader of this union and of this home. Verse 23 says, For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. So spiritual authority we're talking about. His body, which, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Again, not talking of the authoritative part, but about the yielding in love and the spiritual authority that the man has in the home. And then husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's an important statement right there. Husbands, love your wives. There's another scripture that I didn't bring that that says how you treat your wife, men, can hinder the prayers that you pray. If you treat her in a bad way, then I'm not going to listen to your prayers until you make it right with your wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How many know that Christ loved us so much that he gave his life on Calvary? And if he was willing to do that, that kind of unconditional love is supposed to spring forth as we love our wives. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I've said this before. You give me just 10 or 20 minutes with a guy, and if I hear him talking how he talks about his wife, I can tell you what kind of relationship that they have. If a man will talk negatively about his wife or downgrade his wife to somebody else, then they've got problems. Mm -hmm. They absolutely have problems. You will never hear either one of us speaking derogatorily about the other. Now, when we're in behind closed doors and we have conversations, that's a whole different thing. But I'm not going to tell you about anything that she might do, not that she ever does anything that would, you know, because she's just, yeah. See, she's nodding. She's agreeing with me there. Because, anyway, I better just move on before I get in trouble. (laughs) After all, verse 29, after all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body just as Christ, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you and here it is again, this little uh, passage closes with this. Also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So there's a mutual relationship that each one has there of love and respect, love and respect. This is what the biblical definition of marriage is. When a man and woman come together, they live for God and do their best to live by the Bible. They have a strong foundation upon which to build a family. The strong foundation is critical because it will instill and it will build godly character in your children, which is sadly missing from the majority of families today. In 1960, the percentage of two-parent households was 87.7%. In 2004, it was 68% of children living lived with two married parents. And today the number is still hovering around that mark. Children of married parents <coughs> have higher self-esteem. There's an article that was written in 2016, and I want to read an excerpt from this. It says, children from married parents have a higher self-esteem than those whose parents are not married, new research has suggested. The Marriage Foundation argued that it was not moralistic or judgmental to say marriage works best for families. It is a statement of fact. Teenagers whose parents are in stable, cohabiting relationships are less secure than those from married households the study found the study was based on more than 3,800 interviews with teenagers and claims that it is the first evidence to show children's life life chances are influenced by whether their parents are married or not. Sir Paul Coleridge, a former high court family judge who set up the think tank said the research contradicted David Cameron's idea that strong families were critical for children. According to the Telegraph, it is not strong families that make the difference, but strong marriages, says Coleridge. Almost eight out of ten married parents stay together until their child's 15th birthday compared to three out of ten unmarried parents. Our study adds a whole new facet to this evidence. Being married not only influences the chances of families staying together, it also influences the well-being of their children. He said marriage matters because it's the most important predictor of a child's future life chances. Not only is a married couple more likely to save their child from undergoing the trauma of family breakdown, we now have significant evidence that parents Public declaration of commitment to each other significantly alters a child's self-perception and self-esteem. I want you to catch that. It's the parent's public declaration of commitment to each other. That is what is really at the core of what is missing in marriage today, even the institution of marriage. I had a young man tell me one time, he was living with his girlfriend, and he said, Well, my parents divorced. This young man was about 19, 20 years old. He said, My parents divorced, and I want to make sure that I don't go through that same thing. Because we talked about marriage, and I said, You know, living with your girlfriend is not the best thing that God has for you. You need to be in a marriage covenant, or you need to not be. If you're going to live for the Lord, because he came to the altar for prayer, wanted to turn his life over to the Lord. And so if we're going to decide to follow Jesus, it requires a public commitment and a life commitment to align our values and our life to what the word of God says. Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen overnight. But if we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then that change begins on the inside. And it makes a difference how we view life. And then those things that used to matter aren't nearly as important anymore because Jesus is a whole lot more important. And this young man said, well, I just want to make sure that she's the right one. Can I tell you that We can't be sure who's the right one, but he knows who's the right one. He knows who's the right one. And if we trust him for our salvation, we can trust him in every area of our life. We can trust him in the areas of our personal relationships. We can trust him in the areas of our intimate friendships. We can trust him in the areas of our lifelong spouse that he has in mind for us. But the public declaration of commitment to each other, the commitment is really what people really don't. I don't really want to commit. I saw this as a youth pastor. I've mentioned the story before where, you know, a youth didn't want to commit to volunteering on a specific day because I don't know what's going to be happening on that day. Well, if you tell me you're going to be there, that you're going to be in. Well, what she meant was, well, I want to see what my options are. People like options. Well, if it doesn't work out, then we'll just get it. No. I heard uh, Ken McGee, which is a powerful man of God, that priest never heard him, never heard anyone preach a better series of messages on the Holy Spirit. And he made this statement. He said, two people that are full of the Holy Spirit will never divorce. Because when you're so full of God, then nothing else matters but God And Others and that was that's the basis of the commandment when jesus said the two commandments are these love the lord Your god with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself So when you're loving god when you're loving other people which includes your spouse Then you don't have room for anything else to creep those out and selfishness. That's really the thing that that drives divorce I've got to continue another article why parent why married parents are important for children and I want you to see these some of these answers from social sciences uh, why married parents are important for children. Number one, children raised in intact married families are more likely to attend college. Oh wow, I'm sorry, that's so small. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was more spread out than that. Children raised in intact married families are more likely to attend college. They are physically and emotionally healthier. They are less likely to be physical, physically and sexually abused. They are less likely to use drugs or alcohol and to commit delinquent behaviors. They have a decreased risk of divorcing when they get married. Can you imagine that? They are less likely to become pregnant or impregnate someone as a teenager. Number two, children receive gender-specific support from having a mother and a father. Research shows that particular roles of mothers... And fathers, like mothers to nurture and fathers to discipline, as well as complex, biologically rooted interactions are important for the development of boys and girls. Number three, a child living with a single mother is 14 times more likely to suffer serious physical abuse than a child living with married biological parents. A child whose mother cohabitates with a man other than the child's father is thirty-three times more likely to su- suffer serious physical child abuse. These numbers are startling, folks. In number four, in marriage fam- in married families, about one third of adolescents are sexually active. For teenagers in step families cohabiting cohabitating households, divorced families, and those with single unwed parents, the percentage rises to above one half. Children of divorce experience lasting tension as a result of the increasing differences in their parents' values and ideas. At a young age, number five, at a young age, they must make mature decisions regarding their beliefs and values. Children of so-called good divorces, which there are none, fare worse emotionally than children who grew up in an unhappy but low-conflict marriage. The research clearly shows that parents committed to marriage cause children to be in a much better place emotionally and yes, even spiritually. Because that is God's plan. That is God's plan. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. It doesn't mean that they won't ever stumble and fall and venture off into sin. We pray that they don't. But what it means is that what you instill in in them and their character is going to be with them. They will never be able to get away from it. And I've used this on Mother's Day. I've used Jacobin and Moses. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Jochebed, Moses' mother, was living in an edict where all the babies, two years old and under, were demanded to be killed. And and Moses' mother hid Moses until he was too large to hide anymore. How many know that babies can get too large to hide or they get too loud to hide anymore? I remember whenever our kids were little, we used to sit third row back from the front on this side until Nick came along. (laughs) We sat up there when he was little, but when he started making noise in church, we kind of moved to the back because we didn't want everybody to be looking at us and listening to us because it's distracting. He was just doing what babies do. Well, Moses' mother had his sister Miriam to put him in the basket and, and she you know, put him out there and Pharaoh's daughter found him. You know the story. And his sister Miriam says, "Oh." Do you want me to find one of the Hebrew women to nurse him for you? Yeah, I'll pay you to do it. Takes him back to his own mother. She gets paid for raising her baby. And Bible scholars think that Moses stayed in his parents' home until he was probably about five years old. I want you to get that. In five years... They got to instill into him who you are and who God is. And so when he went to Pharaoh's house and lived with the king, he never was able to forget about who he really was. And he came back to it. So when they're old, they won't get away from it. This is what you teach your children. Exodus six twelve. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land your, the Lord your God is giving you. One of the Ten Commandments. It was so important to God. And I want you to hear this. I see examples of this. You, you can just go to Walmart and you can see examples of this. Annette used to work in a daycare and she said, she said, you know, when we got married, she worked in a daycare. She said, I've seen these I've seen these kids go up and kick their parents and, you know, stuff like that. It's like, what planet are these people living on? Uh-huh. Oh, well, we'll just reason. Yeah. yeah, that's not what the word of God says. Children don't even really know what they want to do. They don't even know what's best for them. Oh, well, you can get whatever you want on the menu. And they're like three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe I, I, I'm not saying that kids shouldn't have a say or an input in some of the things that they do. But it's just not like a free for all. It's like, OK, well, here's options for you. This path or this path, this this choice or this choice. I could go off into a tangent on this, but I'm not going to. But but I want you to realize that it is so important. I remember Annette and I, we were always synced together on our um, on uh, raising our children and our kids knew better that if you ask one parent and they said, no, you don't go ask the other one because you're going to get a better answer. They knew better because we talk. I think it was amazing to them that we talk, you know, during the day. we talk, you know. When I'm on break or something like that from work, I would call her and we would talk, you know. And um, there was one time I don't even know if Nick remembers this, but uh, he was probably about <laughs> twelve or thirteen, maybe fourteen, and uh, and I was sitting at the table working on some paperwork or whatever. And Annette told Nick to do something, and he snapped and said something harshly. I don't think what he said was horrible, but the way he said it sounded really. <coughs> angry and it just went through me and i'm you can ask my kids that i I have not won to lose my top or lose my cool or, or be angry i'm i'm not that way i just you know to me displays of anger serve very few purposes um you can get a lot further by not being angry and and so that's just one of the areas that that i think god's allowed me to kind of be at peace at in most situations, but there are some things that can just <laughs> set me off. And that was one of them. And I got up and I got right in his face and I said, you will not speak to your mother that way. Amen. And you go over and you apologize to her. And he did. He apologized to her, but our kids didn't talk to us that way because that was the expectation It is so significant. And I want you to know how critical it is for children to honor their parents. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long. And it's not so parents can say, yeah, because if you don't, I'm going to take you out. No, that's not like that. It is. This was so important to God that the penalty, I want you to hear this, the penalty to anyone who hit their mother or their father or cursed their mother and father was put to death in the Old Testament. You curse your mom or dad, you're going, you're dying. That's your last day on earth when you do that. Because you're rebelling against authority. You're rebelling against what, what God has established. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long on the earth. It was important to God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In love, we're supposed to nurture our children and bring them up and instruct them about the things of God. Colossians 3 20 says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Small children must be taught to obey and honor their parents by being brought up and brought up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Older children, even after marriage, must show respect for the counsel of their parents and honor them in their old age and even care for them financially if it's needed. Children who honor their parents will be blessed by God. I remember uh, I had an uncle, Uncle Floyd, who, um, who um, lived with my grandparents. He, he was single for a long time. he had had some health issues. He'd been in the army, and, and uh, he, had, uh, he, he lived with my grandparents, or my grandparents lived in, in the same house as him. And he told me something when I was a, uh, when I was a teenager one time. He said, he said, you know, even though I'm an adult, he said, I would never even think of raising my voice or raising my hand against my mother. Amen. Even though I'm old enough, never. I would never even entertain the idea. I have never, I've never forgotten that. Never. Church, there's no gray area as to the definition and importance of marriage. One man, one woman, joined together for life, with Jesus as the supreme authority over them. Together, they bring up children in unconditional love, with clear direction from the Bible. To love God, to honor and respect their parents as well as others. This is God's plan. This isn't something alien from somewhere else that, you know, some other culture. This is God's plan. And it used to be widely known in this country. I know that there are people listening to me that have had various experiences that that have caused this perfect plan of God's to not be what happened in your life. I get it. We cannot change our past. We can't change mistakes. We can't change failures. We can't change how other people's decisions over which we had no input had an effect on what our lives faced and what we what we what we had happen. We can't you know how those things impacted us we can't change any of that but god takes where we are right now and he lets us start right here and he gives us the strength and the wisdom to move forward in our relationship with him regrets we all have them if i'd have done this or if i'd have done this or if i'd done this maybe things would have turned out better we can all look back and look at those moments and say absolutely i would do things differently but we can't do those things differently we can just be different from here on live for Jesus that's the most important thing my grandmother is 99 should, should uh, the Lord tarry and give her health she will be 100 years old in January and um We took her out to eat, which she doesn't get to do very often because she doesn't get out of the house very much anymore. But we took her to a Chinese buffet, which she loves Chinese food. And the lady there found out she was 99 years old. And she asked the host lady, and she says, what do you attribute to your long life? And she looked at her and she said, live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. I think it surprised her. She didn't know what to say, Mm -hmm. but it's true. So live for Jesus. That's the most important thing. If you're married, be completely committed to God's plan in your marriage. If you're not yet, if you're yet to be married, be committed to God's plan for when you may get married. If you're a parent, commit to teaching your children the ways of God. If your children are older, you can still influence them. By living out the example of Jesus in front of them, by having kind words, having loving care toward them and living an example according to the word of God. Live out the example of Jesus. If you have grandchildren, influence them by living for Jesus in front of them. If you're a single parent, let the family of God help you with Godly counsel and wisdom and guidance for both you and your children. Pastor, I thought this was a message on how to vote. It is a message on how to vote. Now we've had a pretty good thorough review of what marriage and family is, but we must take action. How we vote on issues and candidates based on their view of marriage and family absolutely makes a difference it's not about the economy but it's about the bible it's about the word of god and exalting jesus christ it's essential it's critical and essential to affirming god's view of marriage and family we cannot afford to sit idly by and let ungodly people with unbiblical agendas To further undermine marriage and family in in this state, in this nation, or even in our city. We have to pray and we have to vote. The past two years has really been an eye-opener. And I want you to educate yourselves on how to vote on issues of marriage and family. This goes all the way down to the school board elections and everything else. Especially the school board. The time has come and gone for parents to believe that... The the school can teach you, my kid everything they need to know. We can't trust the school to do this. Not the school's responsibility. It's our responsibility as parents, as parents, grandparents, to the extent that our influence is. And grandparents, you you know, you know how it is. Somebody says something about your kid, or they do something to your kid. You're like those are fighting words, and you're just like you're not my kid. You're not. Same with your grandkid somebody's going to pick on your grandkid and you're going to find out and you're going to say this is, not going to be, this is not going to be accepted. But yet in this land, there are people that are pushing ungodly agendas and ideals into our classrooms and they need to be held to account. I think that COVID did a lot of things and, and many, people, many people will say it was an eye-opener because they got to see what their children were actually being taught through technology they heard it with their own ears what goes on in the classroom and they realized that this is so far why are they learning about this social agenda that is contrary to the word of god in math class why are they learning it at all but why are they learning it in subjects that shouldn't even be related to that we've got some choices to make as i mentioned you need to register to vote by This Friday, if you're not already, you can go and print a sample ballot. You can do it now. Do your research. Look at what each candidate says and vote. Pray and vote is absolutely critical. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for what you're doing in amongst us. I thank you, Lord, for the reminder about who you are and about who you are in marriage, who you are in family. And when we put you first, then you work out those things together in our lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, you have called us to make a difference, not just, Lord, in our lives, but in other people's lives as well all for the cause of Christ. We will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we will stand bold and stand firm for Jesus Christ as long as we are able to do so. We thank you for it and we praise you for it right now. In the name of Jesus.